Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Well, thank you, Jim. I'm glad you're here well, with I us today. Well, I was communicating through the glass of uh. Andrew. And you two are getting too chummy before the show. Would you like him to come here in yeah. here and play, play, play the role of me? So today I'll we're going to go back through memory lane and think about zip drives. They're celebrating their 25th anniversary today. Are they now? Oh, yeah. It's been a long time. And we're going to talk about a particular photo format called GIFs, G-I-F-F. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is it pronounced GIF or GIF? That's exactly what I was about to say. How do you pronounce it? GIF. I'm sure we will come to no consensus and we're, when we finish And we're, no, we're going to talk about a special contest that's put on by GIF peanut butter. <laughs> to, spe- to Because it's March 31st is National Peanut Butter Day. I've got to put that in my calendar. So this is really important. Very, uh-huh. very important. Okay, the FCC is finally charging carriers for sharing your location data. Really? See, they don't, they don't tell you this, but they track where you are, and then they deliver ads to you based on your location, and they sell that data. Um, and they're finally getting fined. Uh, we're going we're gonna to try to get to the product of the week that I missed last week, the Microsoft Election Guard. We'll try to get to that. Now... That almost sounds like a joke. No, it's 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 actually a pretty good system. We're going to talk about the. Can you nine... rattle the papers any? <laughs> I want to. I want let. I want people to know that this is a serious show. So you hear the paper rattling in the background, because you know it's... you you know who does that? Rush no. Limbaugh on the EIB network. He, he has an important story and he rattles the paper. He, he does that. Yes, he does. <laughs> but this is also a technology show where you think we might go paperless someday. No, this. Oh, that is a very good. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. How can I rattle an iPad? <laughs> okay. Well, you probably find – I bet there's a rattle sound effect. We're going to look at the nine megatrends that will shape the world in 2030. This is kind of interesting to see where things – this is like uh, the viewpoint of a futurist. I ah. thought it was very interesting. Okay, the FBI's analyzed ransomware. They report that $140 million has been paid in ransomware. And I'll tell you about how they get all of that data. This week, we're going to feature a very impressive woman, Catherine Coleman Johnson. She was a mathematician that did calculations of orbital mechanics at NASA. She was a black lady. Of course, she was a woman. And she overcame all those barriers Mm -hmm. and achieved great results. And I'm telling you, I'm really impressed with how she managed to navigate those days and how successful she was. And I'm anxious to talk about Katherine Johnson. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Oh, he showed up today. Yes. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria, one of our regular listeners. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. I've been looking at Epic Systems. They do electronic health care systems. And they are, 
at the majority of top-ranked hospitals. Epic was started by Judith Faulkner, and I think she'd be a great subject for Profile in IT. And I certainly think she would be, uh, Susan. So thanks for that suggestion. We got an email from Bridget in Manassas. Dear Doc and Jim, when I opened my Facebook account, I was very immature, Bridget. And I chose a username that I thought was sassy and original. Uh-oh. But now that I'm older, I just think it's inappropriate for somebody my something my age. And I mean, I've seen... No, she, she. Oh she, come on! No, that's she, half the fun. She, she doesn't want to tell me what the name is. So she didn't tell you. So you don't know, and you're not yeah. just holding back. On I mean, it. I have seen some email name, email accounts that really should be changed. That you know, people will uh, apply for a job, and that might be hotbabe at gmail dot com. Uh, apply for a job with you? No, not with me. <laughs> But the if thing they, is, if you is that, use the name Hot Babe with you, you yeah. get the job. Oh, no, not absolutely I'm joking. No. <laughs> I'm joking. So here's the thing. The, uh, so, I can, so people over time, they, they evolve and they want to change, change what they're doing. Well, the good news is, uh, Bridget, it's easy to change your name on Facebook. What you want to do is, now you can't do it with the mobile app because for some reason they removed that capability on the mobile app. So you got to log into Facebook with your browser Log into the account and then click down. There's an arrow on the right side of the blue bar. It's right beside where where the username is. A little down arrow. Click on that, and then you'll see on that drop down menu something called settings. Click on that, and then you'll see everything. You'll see username, password. You'll see a lot of things that sort of define your account. Go to the one line that says username, and on the right side there's a little edit link. Click that edit link, change your name, and then you can save it. Now, the only caveat is you're only allowed to change your name every 60 days. So you can't change it again for 60 days. You know, I didn't know that until I, 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 I went to that link. Huh. And, and they won't let you have any, like, weird capitalizations. They don't want any punctuation in your name. They don't want weird characters or random words in your name. They want Weird you- characters. Yeah, oh. random characters, any any sort of punctuation. So that, oh, you said weird. I thought you said reared. Weird, weird. Weird. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah. And so and so, you just have to do that. But I can see now. I started thinking about that 60 day rule. What they don't want you to do is change your name and go over and harass somebody, and then change it back. Ah, you see. Yeah. So so if they let you, if you could just change it every day, people could do all kinds of stuff, and it wouldn't be traceable. They would, so yeah. now you're stuck with it for sixty days. So I'm quite certain that Facebook had some issues with people trying to do that. So, well, best of luck, Bridget, and I hope you select a more appropriate Facebook name next time. Sounds like she learned her lesson. Got an email from Doug in Baltimore, dear Tech Talk. How can I convert a bare hard drive or solid state drive to an external drive using either USB C or USB 3.1 connectors? Okay, the USB 3.1 that's the big USB uh, plug, and then the there's a smaller one that's coming out on the new computers. It's USB C. That's a that's a much smaller uh, USB plug, which is becoming more and more popular as laptops get thinner and thinner. I'd like to use the extra drives I've got in a drawer, and I'd, and I'd like an easy way to do it. Well, uh, you know, solid state drives are really quickly replacing regular drives. So, you know, solid state drives are becoming more and more popular for these external drives. And you can actually get a, um, an adapter that your drive will fit in. It's an external it's an external drive adapter, and you can get an external drive adapter that will have either USB 3.1 or USB-C output, and then you can get a USB adapter that will support a solid-state drive or a regular 
uh, inch hard drive or would support both because you, they basically just plug into the uh, plug into the uh, plug into the port. You you basically just open up the um, open up the external drive enclosure and you plug plug the drive in. And some of them will ha- have either the regular hard drive or the SSD or both. Now the good news is they're only about twenty bucks. You can get that external drive. So huh. you know I went on to. Uh, I went on to the uh, Amazon site. I mean, there's so many of them, and, and you know, it, you know, either the SSD or the or the uh, or the or the regular magnetic hard drive. They all just plug into the SATA connector, SATA connector. It's a standard interface, and then you just close the close the unit, and you're good to go. Now, ra- I didn't really recommend one. What I want you to do is just go to Amazon and look up external hard drive, uh, and then you pick one that's got more than a thousand reviews. And it's highly, and it's got good reviews. You you just can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Don't pick one right. that only has a few re- reviews because they could be fake. So I, I, but if you've got more than a thousand reviews, it's probably pretty good. So that's what I did. I looked at quite a few of them, and they they vary from fifteen dollars to twenty five dollars. And they're some of them are kind of pretty. The, you, you can, some of them are transparent, so you can see the drive inside. Huh. It's actually quite nice. So. Uh, we got a uh, uh, so that's really what you do. There's uh, hold on, what am I doing here? <laughs> oh, is there a way? You know, I did, I forgot to put the letter in in italics. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to find it. Yeah, yeah I couldn't find the letter I'm, because there's a serious formatting error. For those on who aren't show. watching us on Periscope, there is, as we heard earlier, yeah. as the doc ruffled yeah. the papers around, there is an outline that there is an outline. So here's the a thing. method to his madness. So there's this. This is this. The, 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 this came from uh, from John in Fairfax. Is there a simple way to reduce your phone's monthly data usage? So that's actually a good question because a lot of people are on uh, on you know on a fixed data cap and they want to make certain that they don't use too much data. Well, the dirty truth is that the apps that you have are always working in the background and they'll just yeah. download stuff all the time. Yep. So what you can do is that actually you can actually the first thing if you want it if you're not going to use an app just just uninstall it because you yeah. know an uninstalled app is going to use no data. Now. Then you get then you leave the apps that you use, and then some of the apps you want them to operate in the background. For instance, there may be like your email, like right. your mail app, or so you just decide which apps you want to let operate in the background, and then you can tell the other ones uh, not to operate at all. But you know what? Not to interrupt, <laughs> but I'm going to interrupt. Uh-huh. Um, the email app, uh-huh. I I I disabled the auto, uh, you know, check function uh-huh. on that because. I don't check it all the time when I'm out of the office. Uh-huh. So I just, you know, it, it saved a lot of data yeah. when, when, when the iPhone wasn't constantly checking for email. Uh-huh. Now, what I did is um, you, you can turn off background refresh completely. Right. And I'll tell you how to do that. But what I did, I left on background refresh, but I said only refresh on Wi-Fi. Ooh. So you have a choice of. Never refresh, Wi-Fi only, or Wi-Fi plus cellular. Uh-huh. So I put it on Wi-Fi. So that's, they all, that's so smart. they they all refresh as soon as I'm on Wi-Fi. But that's the other thing is whenever you can be in secure Wi-Fi. Right. Yeah. Use the Wi-Fi. Yeah. 
That's right. Use secure Wi-Fi. So, so if I go to uh, Starbucks, not that they're any less secure, I always turn on my VPN. Yeah, I got an Express VPN. So that's another story. So VPN. if you so if you got an Android phone, you just tap on the settings icon, and then you then you tap on either apps or apps and notifications, and then you'll see a list of apps. Pick the first app that you want, click on it, and then you tap on data usage. And then you'll see something called background data, and you can just turn it off. Mm-hmm. And you can do that for for all of the units that you have, and then it won't it won't then do anything in the background. Now, what that means is when the app is closed, it won't download any data. But as soon as you open the app, it will download data. That's what it means. Now, if you've got the iPhone, you go to the settings iPhone, then you click on general, then you tap on background refresh, and then you you'll see a list of apps. You can just toggle them off if you if you want to disable background data. Now I just toggled all of mine on, and at the top of that screen on the iPhone, there's another drop down menu. You could pick Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi plus cellular, or nothing. So I, I do it on Wi-Fi because I'll just use as much Wi-Fi yeah, as I can. I'm using I'm using on, on somebody else's dime. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the deal. And so that's a very good way to operate. We got an email from Paula in um, Texas. Dear Tech Doc, I have a carbonite. I mean, I had carbonite backup for my files for a couple of years, and um, and but and you know they backed up all my document files, but they didn't back up any of my Windows files. And I learned the hard way that this was a problem when my hard drive crashed because I had to, <clears throat> I had to reinstall everything, Windows and everything. And I I didn't have the disks. It was a huge problem. Uh, what exactly do you have if you say image system image backup? What does that actually do? Well, uh, thanks for clearing this up, Paula in Texas. Well, Paul, I use Carbonite too, by the way. So I, um, if you do a systems image backup, it backs up everything on the entire hard drive, including all your Windows applications, including Windows itself. It basic make it actually takes a snapshot of your hard drive at that moment. So if your hard drive were completely ruined. You could take and restore that snapshot, and it would be like nothing was there. And you, it would re- restore all your applications, Windows, and everything instead of just your data. Now, it's it's a lot bigger file, a backup file, because you're 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 backing up everything. But it's probably wise to have at least one system, take a systems image periodically, and then you can do it. Now, what I do with Carbonite, I, I don't do the systems image. I just back up my document files. So, like like when Marianne took my laptop and on on the trunk of the car and Marianne took your laptop yeah, uh, on the trunk of her yeah, car on the trunk of her car you and, and drove and, and, and dro- there's no evidence of that and and then she <laughs> and then she drove off and then she drove off uh-huh. there were no there was there, there's no video evidence of that no, at all no there's no video because evidence. the rule in my house it's never my fault so <laughs> whose fault was it that the last email wasn't in italics on the outline? Uh, that was Marianne's fault. Okay, all right, just checking. You're at least you're consistent. <laughs> That's right. So so this is the thing. Yeah, she must have said something, and then uh, you know, and, then, just, the font, and then the font, then the font changed. So when she drove off, and then and then dropped and dropped the laptop on the street, and then cars ran over it. I just had to get a new a new laptop. And I just, you know, that came with uh, Windows installation. I put on all the apps again, and then I just downloaded all my systems files, all my uh, document files, and I didn't lose a thing. Could you secretly have <laughs> wanted a new laptop? Is that why the laptop accidentally wound up on the trunk of the I, car? I, I don't know. There, there, there could be some deep-seated meaning in that. I think we need to bring Dr. Phil in I th- someday. I think you're exactly right. So, so Susan, I I think in your case you should definitely do the systems image. Makes a lot of sense. We got an email from Susan in Richmond. Dear Tech Talk, 
I've forgotten a pin for my Windows 10 laptop. Oops. And I can't log on to my computer. What are my options, Susan in Richmond? Well, I hope, Susan, that you linked your login to your Microsoft account. If you linked your login to your Microsoft account, you can reset it. I once knew somebody who had a laptop. They forgot the password, but they didn't link their login password to their Microsoft account. Was that account. laptop eventually left on the trunk of a car? No, no, that wasn't it. That was, it. That was, that was okay. somebody else, some unnamed person. And they, mm-hmm. and it turned out, with if it's not linked to the Microsoft account, you cannot change the password. And since the disk is encrypted, if you don't know the password, basically everything was lost. It, 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 we, we had to do an entire new installation. Wow. So when you get... A Windows machine always link it to the micro your Microsoft account and then you can reset it. So let's assume, Susan, that you were smart enough to link your account. But you know what happens when we <clears throat> assume. I know, but I'm I'm I, but I'm an optimist. Okay, I'm an optimist. All right. So w- what it is? Uh, so what you want to do is if you if you're locked out of your Windows PC, you start by going to the login screen and then you click. I forgot my PIN. And that takes you to your Microsoft account. You log into your Microsoft account. That proves you are who you are. So that means you do have to remember the password of your Microsoft account. <laughs> and then you can put in an, you know, an existing uh, security code, or you can have Microsoft send a code to you via email. And then when they send that code to you via email, you can then put that in and you can verify. So they're going to verify you are who you are by sending an email. So that means you're going to have to have your cell phone there to get the email because you can't get into your laptop. Then once you verify who you are, they will let you enter your new PIN. You have to enter it twice and then hit save, and now you've got a new PIN. Now you can go back to your laptop and use that PIN. But that's all done through your Microsoft account, and they're using essentially two-factor authentication. You log into your account. They send a text message to your phone. Put the text message in. Verify who you are, and you can change your PIN. If you're not ver, if you're not linked to your Microsoft account, you're toast. <laughs> There's nothing you can do ex- except just sit there and guess. Guess and be upset you just, with yourself. You just guess and guess and guess and guess. Okay, now we got something that's not exactly IT, but it's no. very apropos. We got an email from Doug in Fairfax. Do surgical masks really protect against coronavirus or the flu? I am skeptical. Doug in Fairfax. Well, Doug, viruses that cause respiratory diseases, they spread mainly via these little tiny droplets. These droplets can be inhaled, ingested, or picked up by touching a surface that they land on, and you can transfer them to your eyes or nose or mouth. Surgical masks really don't provide a snug fit. They also Mm -hmm. don't filter out the smaller particles. In fact, there is no standard for surgical masks. You don't know what they filter out. There's no standard on pore size. So these small droplets are going to come right through the mask, and they're not really going to protect you. Now, you you might say, well, then why do surgeons and nurses wear a mask in the operating room? Why do surgeons and nurses wear a mask in the operating room? I'm glad you asked that. That protects them from splattered blood Mm -hmm. or splattered liquids from the patient. It protects them. From getting getting them on their mouth. Also, dentists use sometimes they when, they, when they're cleaning your mouth. And yeah. there's a lot of splattering going That's on there. That's right. And so it will 
the mask Hope will you're not stop breakfast out there. So the so the the mask will stop a big drop of water. It just won't these little respiratory droplets. It won't drop. Right. But there is one good thing that the mask does. Remember, I said one way to get it: you get your hands, you get germs on your hands because you touch a surface. It keeps you from touching your mouth or your nose. You just so, touched your mouth. So it protects you from, yeah, that, well, yeah. I know, I, it's for demonstration purposes. I hope the studio, I hope this studio is wiped down the before I got here. The very first thing I do when I get in here is wipe this thing down with Clorox. Wipes. Well, Everything. thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm glad. I care about you I, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you took care of that. So it do, will protect you from what, what they call self-contamination, uh, touching your mouth or your nose. But you could still touch your eyes. So there you go. Uh, I don't think these masks do that much for you, but some people just love to wear them. Well, um, I forgot what I was going to say. It's probably extremely important. uh, Oh, man, you were full of snark this morning. (laughs) I think what we should do is we should have Andrew watch and take tally as to how many times we touch our eyes and mouths during the course of the show just unconsciously. Yeah, that that could be a very good piece of research for... For our research department. Or not. Or not. Okay. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Catherine Coleman Johnson. She was born Catherine Coleman, and then her married name was Johnson. So Catherine so her Coleman didn't call her Catherine Coleman Johnson. No, no, unless they they were did. That's right. So okay. Catherine Johnson was a math- mathematician whose calculations of orbital mechanics were critical to the success of the first and subsequent crude, crude space flights. Uh, Catherine was born August 26, 1918, in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Now, because Greenbrier County 
She was born, and this is going to be a theme that goes, she was born during a time when this country suffered from a lot of racial prejudice, and mm -hmm. she overcame it all. I'm telling you, she, this woman has just impressed me. Because Greenbrier County did not have public schooling for African-American students past the eighth grade, if you can imagine that, hmm. she attended high school in Institute, West Virginia, where they had to drive over to White Sulphur Springs. So her parents in the summer would live in White Sulphur Springs, and in the winter they would move to Institute, West Virginia, so their kids could go to high school. Wow. You know— you just don't you don't realize these things. Did you know that in Maryland there's actually a state law that says the state has to furnish education through 12th grade for all children in the state. There's an actual law in Maryland that says Well, I I think they changed the law. I mean, oh, this this was oh, back sure in the day. Right. This was yes. back in the day, but yes. I, I think they changed the law. Uh-huh. Now she graduated graduated from high school at age 14. Wow. She was a bright girl. And then she enrolled in West Virginia State uh State College. It's a historically black college. And um, at, at age 14, she graduated summa cum laude in 1937 with a degree in math and French. She graduated when she was 18 from college. She's a bright lady. Pretty good. Bright lady. She then took a job teaching in a black public school in Marion, Virginia. She left her teaching job uh, when she got married, and she enrolled in a graduate math program. But she quit a year into the program because she wanted to start a family. Okay, then she shortly thereafter decided she just couldn't stay home all the time. So she decided to get a career as a research mathematician. Think about that. Think about that as an aspiration. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was an extremely difficult field, first, for African Americans to enter, secondly, for women to enter. She had two check marks against her for this field back in the day. But in 1953, she was hired by the Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory in Hampton, Virginia. Now, at first, she worked in a pool of women performing math calculations. Now, Catherine referred to the women in the pool as virtual computers who wore skirts. <laughs> um, I didn't put this in the, in, in, in the profile. At the top of the door in the day... They called it colored computers. Mm. Can you imagine this? No. This was at a NASA. This this at this NASA. why this why at Langley Memorial Aeronautical Lab. But this but the but you know she <clears throat> had such a strong spirit and was so capable that nothing kept her down. I'm telling you this this woman I I was reading all about her really impressed. Now she was temporarily assigned to the all male flight research team. Uh, because they they needed some you know some temporary help on some math problems. Now this was all male and white. They never would allow women on that team, and they would never allow non-whites on the team. Back in the day, so two strikes. But her knowledge of analytical geometry impressed her boss so much that he never returned her to the computer pool, and he just kept her on that team. This is a case where somebody overcomes extreme prejudice through performance. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. From 1953 to 1958, Johnson worked as a computer. That's what they called them then. Analyzing topics such as how wind gusts would, would move an airplane around. 
Then she was assigned to, she was so good at her calculations, she was assigned to Langley's Flight Research Division. Now, at that time, Johnson and the other African-American women in the computing pool were required to work, eat, and use restrooms that were separate from their white peers. Hmm. I mean, I'm emphasizing this because I want people to understand what she achieved in that environment. Despite, Despite yeah. that. Really impressive. From 1958 until her retirement in 1986, Johnson worked as an aerospace technologist, moving during her career to the spacecraft controls branch. She calculated the trajectory for the May 5, 1961 space flight of Alan Shepard, the first man in space. She also calculated the launch window for his 1961 Mercury mission. She plotted backup navigation charts in all cases in case it was an electronic failure, because back in the day they didn't trust computers, but they trusted Catherine. When NASA used electronic computers for the first time to calculate John Glenn's orbit around Earth, John Glenn said he would not fly unless Catherine validated the numbers. Wow. Isn't that impressive? That's very impressive. He called, he said, that woman in the computer room, I want her to calculate my numbers or he wouldn't fly. Johnson later worked directly with digital computers. Her ability and reputation for accuracy helped establish confidence in the new technology. Because she was there right when they were transitioning from the human computer to the digital computer. Mm-hmm. And nobody really trusted them, especially the, you know, the, the, um, the test pilots that were, that were back in the day. In 1961, her helped ensure Alan Shepard's Freedom 7 Mercury capsule would be found quickly after landing. Because they used her trajectory to calculate where it would land. She also helped calculate the trajectory for the 1969 Apollo 11 flight to the moon, uh, and she worked on the Apollo 13 moon mission. Now, you remember that that mission was aborted, and they had to find a way to get the crew back. And she figured out a way for them to look out of the window at a star and use one-star observations to determine their accuracy. So they were able to guide themselves back using an observation method of the stars and a navigation method that she determined, that she developed. She worked on the space shuttle on Earth Resources Satellite and a mission to Mars. She co-authored 26 scientific papers. In In 2015, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama. Uh, it's a big deal. Her social influence, I mean, that, she was more than just a mathematician. She was, she changed the culture at NASA. Her social influence as a pioneer in space science and computing is demonstrated by the honor she received, uh, you know, from everywhere. So um, Johnson died in Newport News February 24th, 2020 at age 101. So what she said, so for instance, she said that, she could see racial prejudice, but she just always focused on doing the best that she could do, and she, you know, got on the teams that she wanted to get on. And when she was first went to the Space Research Center, you know, they do all the research, and then the men would get together in an executive session and write the report. They never allowed any women in those executive sessions. Mm. So she just marched in to one of the executive sessions, and she said, you know— I'm the one that did a lot of these calculations. I should be here. And the men agreed. 
Wow. So she overcame, you know, gender barriers and racial barriers, and she did it in such a mild-mannered but firm way. Mm -hmm. The more I read about Catherine Coleman Johnson, the more impressed I was. So there you go. Well, and of course she was the one of the women who was, uh, you know— the, the inspiration for the book and then the movie Hidden Figures. Yes, she so, was. Yeah, you're so exactly you, right. So you could, uh, if you're more curious, uh, you could watch that movie or read the book. Yes. Yep. It's a great so story. You're, you're about to say everything you wanted to know. That's everything you wanted to know about <laughs> Catherine Coleman Johnson. I'm sorry to have cut you off. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Hope you're paying attention. It's Saturday morning and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. And uh, you're going to play the pop quiz coming up here. Uh, you're listening to us on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can please be seated now. They are. Sure. They're, ju they're just short. They okay, don't appear seated. We don't, we don't want anybody testing trajectories here in the studio no. by throwing wads of paper, please. No. No trajectory evaluation. No trajectory or research. Or the sous vide eggs we handed That's out before. Right. The yes. Show. Now, the uh, earlier in the show, I talked about Catherine Coleman Johnson, and um, she, of course, was the mathematician that calculated orbital mechanics. Now, the question we have for you, because this is not simply a radio show, it's no, a classroom it's not. of the airways, yes. and we want to test you with this question: uh, Which? astronaut would refuse to fly his mission until Catherine calculated his orbit. If you know the answer to the question, well, you don't know what to do by now. I can't help you. Calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. 
Calling from east of Playa del Church, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're warming up your lunar module in... Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line, which also works from outer space, 877-9-3639-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Let's talk about GIF. GIF image formats and GIF peanut and butter. I was going to say peanut butter. Mm, yeah, peanut GIF butter. peanut butter wants you to pronounce GIF images correctly. Since the beginning of time, the Internet has fought over the pronunciation of GIF. Some people say the GIF. The beginning of time? Well, since, the, well, since uh, 1987. Oh, okay. Since 1987, <laughs> which, which, in, which is in the computers. beginning of it. That's the beginning of Internet time. Okay. All right. Uh, is it GIF with a hard G or GIF? Well, Jif, the peanut maker, that would be J-I-F, not G-I-F, wants to put a stop to all the arguments by teaming up with Jiffy. That's no. a that's a site that you can do for making animated here's, GIFs. Here's what Jif really wants to do. They want to sell more they peanut sell butter. More that's peanut what butter. they really want to do. That's right. And they're going to make a, a jar of peanut butter that instead of being called it J-I-F, they're going to call it G-I-F. <laughs> <laughs> and... The verdict is, according to Jif Peanut Butter, that you pronounce it with a soft G. Now, Jif. That's what G, I thought. G, it is that is correct. Jif G. The it's G I F stands for Graphics Interface Interchange Format. Graphics Interchange Format. It's a bit bitmapped image format that was developed by a team in the online services division of CompuServe, and the team was led by the com- American computer scientist Steve Wilhite. They developed that format June 15, 1987. And since then, it's come to widespread use. So you can – these little images that actually have motion in them, those are all GIFs. And you can, you can, make, uh, you can make animated GIFs because it will just play a series of frames at whatever speed you want, and it looks like an animated movie. Now, the creators of the format first pronounced it with a soft G, as in Jim, and they say that is the correct way to pronounce it. Now, Steve Wilhite – says he intended the pronunciation to deliberately echo the name of the American peanut butter. Did I mean, the, the, re- yeah, GIF, no G-I-F. And in fact, CompuServe employees would often say, choosy developers choose GIF. And that was an advertising logo <laughs> for GIF peanut butter. Yeah, it was. Where it was like, choosy mothers choose GIF yes. peanut butter. Mm-hmm. So they have choosy developers choose GIF, G-I-F. They were spoofing the brand's television commercials. Now, this is the thing. March 1st, 2020, is National Peanut Butter Lover's Day. Jif is releasing a special edition, a 40-ounce jar of creamy peanut butter that teaches you the prof- proper pronunciation. It's actually G-I-F. And at the, at the, on the lid, they explain the proper way of doing it. Now, the only problem is mm-hmm. the special jar of peanut butter is double the normal price. Of course it is. So if you want to I celebrate the GIF, the image, buy that expensive jar of peanut butter and and knock yourself out. So GIF or Skippy, which do you like? Or do you like peanut butter? Well, I, I like peanut butter. Or do you like the expensive crap? No, no, I, I, I would go for GIF. I like GIF. Yeah. I like GIF, yeah. Excellent. I like right. crunchy. Oh, we part company. Smooth. No. Oh, yes. Whoa. Oh, you know what that means, right? Yeah, we got a winner here. That means something. I don't have a winner. They haven't played yet. 
Okay. Let's go to line number one. This is Kirk calling from Fairfax. Kirk, good morning. How are you? Well, good morning. Good morning. Dr. Schertz, Early in the show, I talked about Katherine Johnson. Of course, she's the mathematician who calculated orbital mechanics. Which astronaut would not fly unless Katherine calculated his orbit? Well, that would be the astronaut and later U.S. Senator from Ohio, John Glenn. That Very is good. correct. Very eloquent. Very good. Put, and uh, I wish we had extra credit, but, yes. you know, we have no budget <laughs> that was here. excellent. So, Kirk, thanks for listening. Thanks are calling. Hang on a second. We're going to send you back to Andrew. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio. Federal News Network, I'm sorry. 1500 AM. 1035 FM HD2. 1039 FM HD2. And in Loudoun County at 104.5 FM. You can watch us do the program. Download the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with <laughs> Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now let's walk down memory lane. We shall. And let's talk about the old zip drive. The zips are, are uh, celebrating their 25th anniversary. So let's go back to the year 1995. I wish I had Wayback Machine music. Back then we, we had slow floppy disks. So they would only hold 1.44 megabytes of data. And it was just a pain in the neck to try to transfer files. Back in the day, not many people were on the Internet. We didn't have many local area networks and People just had all kinds of issues on how to copy files and move files around. And then this exciting new technology came around, Ooh. the zip drive. And it held 100 megabytes of data, 100 megabytes of data. And it was about the size of a, of a, a 2.5-inch uh, floppy disk, but it was a little thicker. And when compared to the standard floppy, the zip drive felt like heaven, I'm telling you. It allowed people to back up their hard drives. Because back in the day, hard drives were actually less than 100 megabytes, many of them. And you could transfer large files with ease. When it launched, you could get a, um, an external zip drive for $199. In today's dollars, that would be $337 for that external hmm. drive. Pretty expensive. Yeah, it is. 
Now, the disk sold for $19.95, the 100-megabyte disk. So in today's dollars, that'd be $34 for the, the disk. So that's expensive. That's, it's, it's expensive, but back it's better then, than the Back other. then, it was a bargain. Yeah. Now, zip drives were, re- were originally available in two versions. One supported Windows or DOS-based PCs and with a parallel port interface. And the other one supported the high-speed SCSI interface that was on the Apple Mac. So you see the original zip drives plugged into the printer port. Because back in the day, we really didn't have USBs. So it plugged into the printer port. Think about that. How long has it been that we've had printer ports on computers? Yeah, really. And you know, back then, of course, Macs were more advanced, and they had an external SCSI connector for running external hard drives. Zip proved hugely successful. Now, their drive measured about 7 inches deep, 5 inches wide, and 1 and a half inches thick, and, it, and the drive weighed just under a pound. They they had an internal zip drive that would fit inside of the computer. I had them all. I had external zip drives. I had internal zip drives. Well, I just loved the zips. You had to. Yeah, I had. Yeah, no, there's there's you have to do show prep and. I stuff really like loved that. those zips. I still have uh, some of my original Tech Talk radio shows stored on zip drives back in the day. So we um, uh, they and so these things were really uh, nice. They they they. they they were about the size of a 3.5-inch floppy disk, but they spun a lot faster. They had, a, they, they had an RPM rate of 2,900 RP, revolutions per minute. It spun a lot faster than a floppy disk. So that gave them a read-write speed much faster. Over its lifetime, Zip had three disk sizes, 100 megabyte, 250 megabyte, and 750. I never owned a 750 megabyte one, but I had, I had a lot of 250 megabyte Zip drives. And then Zip began to die. First, we had the inexpensive uh, read-write CDs, CDR technology, where you could where you could you could basically store about you know 700 megabytes on a on on a, on a writable CD, and those CDs were like dirt cheap, and that gradually began to eat away at Zip's market share for removable removable backup. So instead of backing up to the zip drive, you back up to the to to a, re- a rewrite CD and it's a lot cheaper. Then businesses started installing local area networks, which meant that you could transfer files over the network easily. You didn't need a zip. And then what put the final death knell in the zip drive were the removable flash USB flash drives. Once you had these USB flash drives, who needs a zip? Right. So Zip basically became irrelevant when new technology surpassed it. But today is Zip's happy birthday. Happy 25th birthday, Mr. Zip Drive. Did you buy it an, an ice cream cake? Uh, no, didn't no. buy an ice cream okay. cake. But I'll, I'll sing happy birthday later in the, yes, well, later the, in the air, day. Please. Later in the day, yeah, off in the day. So <laughs> now let's go back. FCC is going to is going to find the carriers. This this really yeah. I'm very happy to see this. Carriers these are the, you know, our cell phone carriers. They track where you are at all times. Mm-hmm. So there is this file on everyone that says where have you been? What have you been doing? How long are you there? And it's all that data is with the carriers. The carriers have been selling that data to vendors without telling the customer now and uh and so the fcc is going to find the mobile carriers 200 million dollars among all four the four the four big ones about 50 million each for selling sharing and making available to third parties 
precise real-time GPS data. Not only is it historic, it's real-time data. So if you're passing by a store, you, they, they can tell a vendor that and they'll send an ad to your phone. So despite evidence of this violation of privacy and of individual service, of individual safety, because they're selling all this data real-time, up to this point, the FCC's done nothing. Now, according to the Center for Democracy and Technology, this is just too little too late. They think this is a slap on the wrist, $200 million. They should have been, They should have been charged much more. Now, the carriers likely violated one or more privacy provisions in the Communications Act. But since Congress reversed the FCC's attempt to extend similar protections to broadband, there's little hope that they can stop companies from selling or sharing similar data obtained through customers' Internet usage. Okay, So they can, all, they can only regulate cell phones. They cannot regulate broadband coming into the House. The Center for Democracy and Technology encourages the commission to pursue strong enforcement against privacy invasion practices of the telcos, and they urge Congress to enact stronger privacy legislation. I would have to agree with that. Let's talk about product of the week. I didn't get to this last week. No, you week. didn't. I'm Microsoft's curious about this. election guard. Does this protect you if, if your if your candidate does not win? <laughs> uh, no this this is actually Sorry, this this is yeah this this yeah election guard. If you, you can go in and change the data if your guy doesn't win, <laughs> this is not what it is. No, this is not what it is. Now this election guard is designed to make voting machines safe from hackers. It's meant to make hacking them pointless. Now, this is the cleverest idea. I'm going to try to explain it in simple terms because it's very clever. Now, the Election Guard has a touch screen for voting. There's an Xbox adapter controller that's connected to it. And so what you do is you, you basically vote. And when you vote, two pieces of paper come out. Now, the software is designed to establish end-to-end verification for the voting machine. So a voter can check whether his vote was counted. If the hacker has managed to alter the vote, it would be immediately obvious. So this is open source software. So Election Guard works through a process known as homomorphic encryption, a concept first introduced in 1987 by Josh Benelo, a Microsoft researcher. The vote is meant to be private. So private votes, it make, if, you're, if your vote is private, it makes bribery useless. Now, Microsoft encryption also keeps the vote secret by converting the choices into random lines of code until they're decrypted. Now, voters shouldn't be decrypted. However, once they're – because they're always intended to be private. Now, what happens is that with an election guard, you basically have two pieces of paper. So with the – you can take – one piece of paper you turn in, and that's your vote. The second piece of paper has a QR code on it. And then what you can do, and that QR code is unique to your vote. So after the voting is complete, the election board will make a huge file up, which includes your vote, but it's encrypted. And what you can do is you can take that QR code, read it, and it will take you to a point that will tell you whether your vote was actually counted and whether it was counted correctly. Interesting. So this QR code decrypts the data relating to your vote, and then you know that your vote was counted. Hmm. Isn't that clever? That's very clever. So that is the uh, – this is uh, – so if – and they basically are looking it up in, a, in an encrypted zip drive. So the thing is, 
It doesn't work. So if somebody tries to hack the file, it's going to be discovered because a voter is going to discover that their vote wasn't done. I I think Microsoft is on to something here. This is open source software. I hope they do more of this, and, that, and then this would allow them to, you know, have uh, have remote voting and other voting actions. I'm kind of excited about that. We should add that elect, Election Guard has nothing to do and not related to Colo Guard. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in a silly mood today. That's okay. So let's see. Uh, we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time. So I, I got rid of the last break. You you got a lot of stuff. Oh, I got here. a lot of you time. Gotta, let's oh, keep on going. The, okay. The tech, the tech watch never So let's never talk stops. about the MIT list of nine megatrends. Mm-hmm. This is actually pretty interesting. This uh, this uh, this MIT list. It was published by the futurist Andrew Winston. When it, and he he's looking at the biggest megatrends that will impact the world by 2030. I mean, I sort of like the way this guy thinks. So let's look at these mega. By the way, this guy does uh, future projections for McDonald's, for Apple, for the Bank of America, for Walmart, for HP, for Disney, for hmm. Cisco. So the first trend, demographics. People are living longer. I didn't know that. People are living longer. By 2030, there will be a more than a billion people over 65. So... Demographic trends means that we're, you know, the whole social network That's is going to change. That's in the United States. Yeah. Okay. That is uh, urbanization. More and more people will be moving to the cities and out of the country. By 2030, more than two-thirds of the world will live in urban centers. Why do you think that is? Because of what's offered there? I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think people. I think mostly it, younger people are moving back into the cities. Yeah, the, the younger. I can see. In, the younger in, people move and then they stay. Uh-huh. They they don't they don't like being out in the country. Transparency. This this is a big one. The amount of data collected on every person, product, organization will continue to grow exponentially. It will put there will be pressure on the government to share that information. Keeping secrets will no longer be possible. Everybody will know everything. Mm-hmm. Climate crisis. Despite the rising awareness. The governments continue to struggle with the long-term balancing long-term environmental needs against short-term economics. This is going to be a continuing debate, and um, Andrew Winston does not think the governments are going to come to terms with it very easily. Resource pressure: water will be scarce. Many cities will be in a constant state of water shortage or drought. Clean tech. There will also be an exploitation of data-driven technologies to make our collective in, in infrastructure more efficient. You know, we'll, we can you can use artificial intelligence to make infrastructure more efficient. Technology shifts. Everything will be connected. Connectivity will spread. By 2030, we'll also see. This is the most. We'll also see the affordable AI achieve achieve human levels of intelligence. Now, this is what Ray Kurzweil calls the singularity, when computers become smarter than people. And um, A lot of people think it's dangerous. This, I mean, we have to, you have to manage it. I mean, you, have to, you don't want computers to replace humans. You want humans to use computers to become more efficient. Right. And um, how we manage it, it's going to be an issue, and, and how we handle the ethical dilemmas that it creates. I mean, even now we have ethical dilemmas in terms of using AI, say, to do credit checks. It, it, 
the AI systems build in the biases of the data, and so you end up with a, with a computer that's as biased as we are. And so we have to find a way to manage AI suitably, and I think that's going to be a huge challenge. And this is right down the line with Ray Kurzweil. This thing, when we hit that singularity point, is going to be, going to be hard to manage and dangerous. They're also saying that the first country that reaches a singularity – they might accelerate the development of their weapons at such a high rate that the other countries can't keep up. Mm -hmm. It is a huge uh, – this is of a huge military significance. This is why we've got to put more and more money into AI. Global policy. Global problems required a globally unified response. Yet, yet, it's not happening because we have all these nation states – that, that want to take care of themselves and they don't want to govern collectively or collaboratively. As a result, there will be there, there will be very little in the way of global policy. Like, look what's happened at EU. They want to have a global management of Europe, and, and, and the EU is just falling apart because every country wants to be their own king. Right. So, and what he believes, it's going to be businesses that lead the way in solving global problems. It'll be like Apple, which is in all these countries, and they might how they manage their supply chain, or IBM. Businesses, because they have a sort of a common objective that spans the world, they're the only ones that can think in terms of global policy and not local national policy. Then finally, nationalism is going to be an increasingly big problem. This is, And we're going to have something called xenophobia. Now, xenophobia is a dislike of or prejudice against people from other countries. That's a problem. Yeah. So these are these big. What do these big mega trends have in common? There's acceleration. Not only is innovation speeding up, but it's doing so exponentially. That's what Ray Kurzweil talks about in um, in the book, The Singularity. So things are changing faster and faster and faster. Solutions are known for many of these issues, but he doesn't believe that we have the will to implement or execute the solutions. For example, we've known for years what it takes to avert, avert the climate catastrophe, yet the world leaders intent on maintaining the status quo. Well, this all sounds pretty bleak, bleak Doc. Bleak it is. Well, there is some hope in that with technology. Yeah. This is for 20. I mean, they, I think it's good to think in terms of these problems so that we can uh, actually um, actually address them. So the FBI. I don't know that you have time for I don't this, think I, I think we're just going to have to. I have to wrap it up. For wrap one day. it up because I'm telling you, we love all of your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And then we want you to go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out the programs there healthcare, computers, uh, uh, culinary arts, hospitality, business, IT, cybersecurity. And tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. <laughs>